This episode of Burgundy Radio is best enjoyed with a nice, cool soda, or pop, depending on your region. Go easy on the old vending machine. It may have a rep for giving you a freebie, but there's a chance it just might take your quarter. You'd have to go way outside and upstairs, Bob Ryan. And after 22 years, Raymond Mark! Greetings, one and all, near and far, reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup is Earl 06. Alex Bowden, Oh, couldn't be better. All right. And also joining us is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, how's it going with you? I'm okay. Greetings, everyone. Uh, lots happened since our one-game podcast that we did just a little while back. Uh, this past Saturday, the Avalanche honored the legacy of the late Pierre Lacroix in a special pregame ceremony prior to icing a roster that bore a little resemblance to those super teams of the past. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that a roster featuring the likes of Dylan Sakura, Jason Magnus, Stefan Mateo, and lest we forget, Curtis McDermott making his highly anticipated Avalanche debut, wound up playing catch-up to a St. Louis Blues team who can kindly be called pedestrian and come up in a losing effort by a score of 5-3. Andre Varikovsky, Tyson Jost, and GT Confer were the goal scorers for the evening, though it should be noted that Jost did appear to score the tying goal. Though that goal was magically waved away under the guise of being kicked past Jordan Biddington. Fair to say that this game was exactly what we feared with that kind of lineup? Or yeah. would it also be fair to say that it's also a pleasant surprise that there was a possibility, though slim as it may be, that they could have pulled this one out? Um, I, I think kind of like the first game, it was a lot of score effect. Um, you know, they, they were kind of in it for a little while, then the Blues sort of moved ahead and then they caught up late on some uh, goalie pulled magic and then ended up losing I, in a game that I don't know it, this was fairly close uh, compared to the other games and I, I think that speaks to more the Blues level at this point but it's it just it, it was tough with what they had, and then they lost Mateau, so they're basically playing with an ECHL lineup of, of ten forwards and, and six defensemen all night. So um, they not only were undergunned, they were tired, and it showed. I think St. Louis is a little better than you, do, but. I mean, would it, were they out to a four to one lead before the all the garbage time stuff happened? And 
Um, it is kind of hard to remember back to like exactly the how the game played out, but um, I think they scored pretty quickly. They got that lead pretty quick, so it is tough to evaluate a lot. Unless like they played with ten forwards. They were trying to play the cap game at that point, and then after Mateau, I mean, as far as from a cap perspective, if your call up goes down, that just completely screws the cap. So we'll talk about call ups later. But um, they definitely didn't need that. So I was a little surprised that Bednar really went for it with the. I think they had a power play mixed in there. So at times it was like six on five, six on four, and then they scored and then they pulled goaltender again. So it was fun to see them score those couple. Like, after they played so poorly, if they had gotten that game to overtime, it would have been pretty neat. But And then Jost kicked the puck in, and depending on your feelings about what is and isn't a kick, he, he definitely scooped that puck forward. It wasn't a deflection, but I'm more of mind that that's more on the legal side of things, but it's so subjective. And, of course, the Avs didn't get the right end of that call, so... I guess it was nice to have a little bit of fun towards the end. And it was nice to see them actually execute it because that is a lot of their power play setup, which we haven't yet seen successful even in the next couple games. So I guess that part was good too. And they might actually, you know, tie or win a game using the extra attacker in the future. So might as well practice it. But yeah, this game was pretty uninspiring i'd say overall yeah i mean it was actually pretty close until mcdermott had a play on Braden shen who had dislocated his finger earlier in the play um and he, he just it, it was one of the most embarrassing plays you can imagine an nhl player make um i think it was you know, tied like, at that point wasn't it and then the abs were trying to claw back it was either 2-1 or 2-2 it was one of those Um, yeah and and the abs had had a decent stretch i think that was the second period and they started the period better and were clawing back and then yeah i didn't mean to interrupt your description of this goal though it was uh it was something it was tragic um you know and it's just you you think of the setting when you know you've got abs royalty in the in the press box with with Forsberg and Hayduke and Foot and Ray Bork, <clears throat> not Patrick Waugh, of course, but um, you know it, it's it was definitely the the kind of night you you wanted to put on a good show for the fans and um you know it's like that that was a that was a really embarrassing play and I, you know I, I just think it highlights how over his head McDermott is when he's out on the ice. I mean, he's just, he's, he's not an NHL player and it's, you know, it's tough to watch. Um, You know, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I think he's so bad that Mac probably won't even yell at him in practice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it, it brings up an interesting point about what do the players think? Because they're not blind and they're not dumb. And, you know, we've been told that, He's a great locker room guy. Maybe he is. He seems like a really nice guy. He's probably cool to be around. And and I think the players do like a little bit of that, I don't know, protection or whatever. But they can see what happens on the ice. And they can see goals going in the back of the net. 
And if you're trying well, to he, say this is... He's not doing anything to protect anybody. I mean, he, <laughs> that too. His next big hit will be his first. And, and you know, the yeah, same he hasn't with done any fights. of that. Hasn't even really been in a scrum. No fights, no good hits, nothing. And then yeah. he also had a moment like that in the Washington game, which we won't quite talk about that yet, but the exact same thing basically happened. Right. And... You know, you, you've got to wonder what it, internally the players feel about that because especially now the pressure's on them. They desperately need a win. Like, they're not going to want to see him on the ice again. So... Yeah. And I agree it's tough because he probably is a good guy in the locker room. You know, he's a nice guy and, and things like that. I, I mean, I'm just speculating here. He could be a total asshole, but... But um, that's what we've heard, and, and he seems like it, so... Yeah. You know. So I mean it it's it's probably tough for everyone to be like, you know, they they want him to succeed and it just you're looking at it it's like he's really far away, you know. I mean, it, this isn't a guy that's like you know, 23 and maybe he'll he'll get better over this season or something like that. I mean, he's, you know, he's a journeyman player in his late 20s, so I mean, and he he's wouldn't not be going to get better. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be the first guy that was a nice guy that just couldn't make it and they had to get rid of so yeah. it'll be really interesting to see when they have to reconcile that. If Taze gets back and they don't have any more disasters, they might have to make some decisions and probably waive him, I think. I think they'll do it, too, because he just hasn't been good enough on the ice. And I don't think Bednar's the biggest fan either. So, well, I mean, he's, you know, he, I, I think he's pretty rational about it. I mean, it's... I mean, there's no way that you can look at what he's done and be like, that's NHL play and that's up to our standards. I, I think the only thing saving him from really standing out is how poorly most other players have been over the past four games. So, But even then, um, he's, he's pretty much been benched after his two faux pas. Yeah. Um. But I, I, you know, I, I do think that 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 part of the Blues game was kind of a turning point because I, I do think if that hadn't happened, and who's to say that, you know, if it had happened to another defenseman, something different would have happened. But whatever, I mean, that the optics were terrible, and you know, the Blues got another goal right after that, and that was kind of it until they got the late game magic. I didn't have the benefit, thank goodness, of seeing this multiple times on instant replay. But I can <laughs> tell you from watching that play unfold, it was, in my head, it was almost like, okay, well, now we're going to put you to the test and see exactly what and how this is going to unfold. And then he folded. But also, so did Kepper, which was just as embarrassing because you get beat by, you get beat. Uh, your defense gets beat, and then it's up to your goalie. And you get beat twice. Two individual plays, and you get beat both times. That's not a sparkling review. I know it's only two games in for one year starting goaltender, and now for this much ballyhooed acquisition from the storied franchise that is the Seattle Kraken. I thought you were going <laughs> to say the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> Sorry. I can't go there yet. Sorry. I cannot go there yet. <laughs> Well, I almost think that the Kemper 
was so astonished at at the play in front of him that he just couldn't believe that that Shen was actually coming towards him. I mean, it's like if you're a goalie and you're watching there, like, oh, cool, a defenseman's got him. This is going to be wow. What the? And <clears throat> you know, I I just think that's. I know you're supposed to be ready for ever, anything, but it, I, I don't think he was ready for that. I think it's fair to say none of us were ready for that. No. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I was expecting some fairly low quality play from McDermott. Um, but I just, I, you know, until you see it in a game, you're just like, I, I don't know. You, you just can't believe it was happening. I expected that he'd be doing the tough guy stuff. That's kind of what surprises me is that he hasn't. And we've said before, like no one's saying on your first shift, make sure you sucker punch somebody, but there's just has been no. Also you you look at like Mason Gertzen, who was picked up by the New Jersey devils on waivers. And this is our good friend, Mason that was with us for a long time in San Antonio and Cleveland and, um, and with the Eagles as well. Um, you know, his first game out, Jack Hughes gets smeared and he sticks up for him in the first game. Um, you know, I, and maybe that's just not something McDermott had the opportunity for, but, you know, I mean, Mason did it. <laughs> I think there was definitely an opportunity for him to do that because we saw early on Brayden Jen go after Nazem Kadri. Which has right. settled things after you know the the hit on Falk in the in the postseason. There was that's, plenty of opportunity think, to have that response. Well, I I think that's something that Kadri needed to do and and just get over with, and, and that that's just sort of a code issue. And and once it was taken care of, it was fine. But you know, you're playing the Blues, so there's going to be garbage going on a lot. Um, so right, exactly. Like in the preseason games, we saw Gilbert get involved in. You know, right. I don't love the scrummy kind of stuff anyway, but hey, he's the one that did it. So to just yeah. to me, I'm saying that's what surprises me the most. Like, I figured we'd all be like, oh, God, you know, he's not a defenseman. I also thought the abs would give up the defense thing and just stick him out there as a forward. But yeah, you know, and that's interesting. That, that, that hasn't they haven't happened even either. Yeah, I mean, it's like he hasn't even practiced there once as far as we know. Um, right. And and I agree that, you know, that was a code thing between Jen and Kadri, but there were plenty of instances where he could have asserted his uh, stature in that game yeah. and it just didn't happen. Yeah, and even if it wasn't sticking up, I mean, you know, part of being a, a player like that is <clears throat> your job is to make the other team uncomfortable. Um, well, it's like if we see just, the I, next... I doubt if he could make the other team feel more comfortable. You know, (laughs) (laughs) well, the next game was Washington. So, of course, we have Tom Wilson. We have some of their other big guys. Right. And there was nothing there either. Yeah. Um, So and. It's it's entirely possible that they've told him to cool it until he becomes more comfortable in the ab system and, and, you know, gets his footing and. You know, I, I think that's a lot of hope. Um, 
you know, I, I don't think he, you know, if you play him every game, you're going to get what we saw in, in those games. But, you know, the chances are you're you're going to have some some fairly low quality play. Um, so if you're not doing those things, if you're not asserting yourself, if you're not trying to be sandpapery and aggressive, um, you know, what's the deal? Why why you why do you have a job? Good question. Right, can't all be lumped under this uh, ubiquitous category of intangibles, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you know, like Gabe is finding opportunities to make dirty hits on people and and be sandpapery. So, um, you know, and it, it's not just the two boarding penalties, like. You know, it looks like Gabe is making a special effort to to be tough to play against, to be sandpapery, to to make the other team think about it when he's on the ice, and it, you know, and and he doesn't have to do that. You know, it's like he's skilled enough that like if he didn't do that, like he'd be providing plenty of value to the team. Well, <clears throat> like I mentioned last week, that I won't delve all the way into, but. That's how you establish a culture of toughness. You have your leaders do it. You just don't have a AHL guy that plays eight minutes a night, and then all of a sudden your team's tough. So I get why Landy's the one that's like setting the tone because that's where like that those kind of attitudes come from. Right, and it just you know, and and maybe just because they've. You know that they they haven't had a lead since the first game and and <laughs> things like that. Um, you know maybe it's just not catching on. Um, you know because you'd you'd like to see. You know EJ's made a few hits. You know you, you'd like to see Jack Johnson make some hits. Um, you know maybe maybe asking it from the entire lineup is a lot, but. You know, there's plenty of guys in that lineup that could just be a little bit more gritty. Follow the captain's example, and I, I do think if they did, <laughs> if they ever do have a lead again, that you know they <laughs> they might start following that a little bit more. Yeah, that definitely makes sense, and I think this is also part of Benner's frustration with them not being "quote unquote" competitive enough. Is it's not doing things like it's. It's not finishing those checks, or it's not seeking out some of those hits. We know they'll never be the biggest, heaviest, toughest, whatever you want to call it, team. But when they are playing well, they definitely do more of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that tactic works a lot better when you have a lead. Um, or, or when at least you're competitive in a game, you know, like down one, tied up one that kind of situation um you know it's like when you're struggling when you're when you're down two or three it's like you really can't play like that because it's just you know if you can't score a goal then it's pointless to even think about doing the other stuff well then you start <clears throat> cheating which is fine because you have to cheat for offense at that point you gotta try something <laughs> yeah and we've seen it. Yeah.
there, and I, just something I was just kicking around here. Bender came back behind the bench uh, after being cleared for COVID protocol in uh, on Saturday. Would there would there have been really much of a difference between the way he would have coached that lineup versus the tandem Bennett and and Pratt had uh, Bender not been available? You think? No, not really. I actually do. Um, and I don't, I, I don't think it would have had a major effect, but I, I just, it, I think the way he described what he did, uh, you know, he just told, um, he, he told Ray and, and Pratt sort of what he was thinking as far as preparation and, um, a game plan and things like that. But it, as far as the details went, he, you know, he, he wanted to let them put their impression on the team and run it at, at you know, how they needed to, to be effective. Um, I mean, I like that. He he did say he didn't want to micromanage them. Like he wasn't in their ear and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but I mean, we've seen to this point, like Chicago is had a tough start. They haven't even won a game yet. So yeah, they're not you too can't good. really extrapolate and say, well, they looked really good against Chicago, but they haven't looked good since Bettner came back. You know, right. I don't. <laughs> I, I mean, I think there'd be differences. I, whether they, they would be noticeable or meaningful, it's, it's really tough to say. Sure, it uh, is. And, that, and then, you know, Bednar hasn't coached a game with Nuke in the lineup. Like, I, I think that's a big one they're missing. Yeah. And, you know, didn't have Landy and, and McKinnon. So, like, I know a lot of the fire Bednar drum is starting, but a lot of this stuff is not in his control. Like you're going to have to take a way bigger sample size of this season before deciding. Right. Like, not to and, say and he not- has no responsibility for it, but not to this point, you're not going to say, well, it's his fault. They lost these three games. Well, I mean, I, I think some of what we see, you know, this, there are some hallmarks of the December and, and February malaises we've seen over the years um, in some of what we're seeing. You know, a lot of it is just lineup driven. So, um, I, you know, I, I, as much as I'd like to see Jared Bednar become a better coach when the team needs help as far as scoring goals, um, you know, this is who he is, and it's been successful. So, you know, it 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 probably will end up working fine sooner than later. And yeah, we know that their offensive systems are not very creative. And at least he lets his top guys do their thing. I think that's something he learned early on in his tenure. But yeah, I agree with you that it's uh, he's not giving him a lot of help in that department either. Right. And it those aren't the guys that need the help. I mean, the guys that need that kind of help are sort of the Burkowskis and, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to say New Hook, um, Comfer, Jost, you know, the guys lower in the lineup. Those are the guys that need help from systems to be able to score better. Um, and it just that that's something we've always seen is it the problem with depth scoring you know, some of it may be limitations on those guys themselves, but you know, it's just they they don't get a lot of help in the offensive zone. 
I'd like and to I, see I totally him. agree with leaving Mac and Miko and Gabe alone because it's like if you take guys like that and put a rigid system around them, I mean, you could be throwing away, you know, 20, 30 points over a season. I guess with those guys, I wouldn't be looking for so much rigidity as like creativity. Um, I think that's what they're lacking. I think that's what the power play still lacks. So like, you know, they're so established, you know, they'll eventually regress to their career average or whatever but it's are you willing to lose let's say five games or four out of five or whatever are you willing to wait are you willing to say we know these guys are going to put the puck in the net it's just a matter of we have to get there i think one of the interesting observations that that you made during the early part of the season and and even like during the chicago game was the power play looked different you know, obviously that was because McKinnon was was not there, um, and for the the Blues game, Gabe wasn't there. Um, yeah, so I they, don't know. They I had know. to do different things, and it seemed like the, you know they actually had to try stuff. They actually, you know, had a little bit more movement in the zone. Yeah, I don't um, know if that was a direction that they were given from Bennett, or that was just because it wasn't their set power play at all. So they just all YOLO'd it, but it definitely did because they're moving in completely different ways, but it's not like it was successful either. So, right. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it was YOLO for the sake of YOLO, I guess at that point. And we also have seen that the JT Comfer has become sort of the featured shooter on the power play with, with very poor results. Um, well, it was, I don't even, I'm not sure if we discussed it on the pod or not about Bednar's whole, he really wants a right-handed shot in the bumper because it feels like when the penalty killers either shift one side or the other to either Mac or Miko, that, that the bumper's at some point going to become uncovered and that one timer's going to be open. Like I, yeah. I it's nice that he at least explained what he's thinking but like what you alluded to is that comfort is just not on that caliber of talent where it really matters how open he is you need somebody that's good enough that when they're open nine times out of ten they'll hit that shot and that he's not that guy Right. It's like when you think of JT Comfer scoring goals, it's almost always in transition. Um, and, it, it, you know, the, the kind of goals that they're asking him to score, just standing stock still, getting a puck and, and being able to put it in with, you know, making a quick decision and a quick shot, that's just not, you know, that's some, not something that he's been famous for over his career. So, um, you know, he's, he's an opportunistic scorer. So, like a set play kind of guy, you know, that, that's, that's probably not him. Um, we kind of saw it work in the St. Louis game where he's the extra attacker and half the time it's, like, really dumb that he's the only, the only guy out there and they choose him over, say, like, Burakovsky or, or whatever sometimes. But in those situations, that's when a little bit of that game his game comes up that desperation where he can kind of make something happen 
but that's not the power play. Like the power play isn't more that scramble. Yeah, but I mean, when we've seen him score those goals, it tends to be that he's sort of sneaking around the back door on the weak side and ends up cleaning up a rebound. Um, again, it just it's you're what they're asking him to do is it just doesn't seem to be something that that he's shown prowess at before. Um, and I get that options are limited. They don't have a lot of right-handed shots. Not like they had the money to go out and get somebody, but I pounded the table for years. I would use Makar more as that right-handed shooter in on the power play. They're looking for the one-timer. I would not use him as the bumper that they do because I understand that guy is useless a lot of the time. But if you pull him up a little bit higher in the zone and where he loves that shot right from the top of the right circles, they can be in business. But they don't want to be creative. And that's the part that has frustrated me for so long is because they have these types of talents and he's just running the power play back there. Like, you know, whoever on Seattle is running it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. So what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to, if you were going to make a a major, if you're going to make a major change like that, then I would put him where Mac usually is because that's where he played basically his career at UMass on the power play and was very successful at it. Um, and it, if you do that, that, then you can put McKinnon in the middle and then you have your right-handed shooter. Well, that's, uh, that could also be something, but, you know, yeah, I mean, they, they have other things. I mean, you, ha- you have these that are top 10, top 20 in the league why are they in one certain spot? Why are they pretty much stationary most of the time? Why is McCarr running the power play like he's, you know, a $2 defenseman? Like, come up with something different. But, you know, I've, I understand that I've said that this over and over and over again. But, um, you know, when you bring up Comfer, uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're hoping for goals from Comfer on, on the power play from that bumper. So, good luck. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's not working out too good so far. Their power play is ranked 29th. Well, they've only scored with, with those extra attacker situations. They have yet to score a, no, they got, they got one real goal last game. Not on the power play. Not, not like a regular. Yeah. They have one five V four. They have one five V four goal. Well, in the situation and when they start doing like the, extra attacker and all that stuff they haven't scored like a normal power play goal so yeah it's ticking (laughs) (laughs) maybe next game it'd be nice yeah well three days later (laughs) speaking speaking of power play goals Three nights later, the Avs have begun their first real road trip on, on the East Coast since a long time ago, facing the Washington Capitals. In all fairness, I didn't see this game, but by all eyewitness accounts, it was completely dreadful, as the Avs lose by a score of 6-3. to uh, JT Confer and Darren Helm had scored in the first and pe- second period, respectively, though the Caps would pour it on after Helm tied the game at 2. And Miko Rantanen would get his first of the season, and NHL.SHIT does count this as a legit power play goal. It does. Oh, the Miko <clears throat> goal? That was 
that was at the very end of that game. The <clears throat> helm goal was the real one. I mean, let's see. When did they? Yeah, but this would. Can... I I thought there was a similarity between this game and the the St. Louis game in that they were kind of in it and they were kind of getting back into the game and just it it you know it it fell apart again and and there was another Curtis McDermott flub um that kind of killed some momentum um you know and i i i think the final score is not as indicative of how this game went um you okay, know, I, I, Kemper was pulled on the Miko goal. So if it's listed on NHL.com as an actual 5v4, it was an extra attacker goal. So it was not a normal power play goal. Yeah, it might have been um it, they might have had a five they might have had a four on four there. But well, e <clears throat> either way it was an extra attacker goal. Right. They, uh, this was just an, a, a very similar game to the Blues in that, you know, they, they could have been in this game and then it just, it got away from them. Um, and it's just, it's, it's turnovers, it's discipline problems compounding. Um, yeah, they were it, digging themselves out of the hole. And, yeah. you know, the helm goal was, was probably a pretty nice one. So, yeah, Comfer had the shorthanded goal, which was tied them for the most shorthanded goals they've seen. <laughs> so they only had one <laughs> last year, yeah. which I think we discussed. And then, then they started digging, digging out of the hole, and uh, oh, O'Connor made a really nice play to helm, which... You know, I've picked on both of them for lack of finish. And so it might not happen that often, but it was a really nice goal. And then Byram also picked up a point on that, which is cool. He kind of like dumped it, like jumped into the play and dumped it kind of in where O'Connor could get to it first. So it was a deserved secondary, but nice to see him yeah. get another point. So, and then, yeah, it, things were getting a little bit better. I think that second period was better, but then. And the coverage just completely broke down and McDermott vacated the front of the net and Washington scored and then they scored again right after that and it's been poor Maltsev. <laughs> he, he was doing the role of what Kiefer Sherwood had to do on that ridiculous goal in, in preseason um, yeah I mean it's just that was such a rally killer um, and it just uh, it, it just makes you think that that kind of thing is frustrating the guys. You know, it's what when they are clawing their way back into these games and then something like that happens, it just... You know, I, and I'm not going to say they're not mentally tough enough or anything like that. I mean, I just think that... You know, well, they, they they're just seeing it. too many things go wrong and it's just... It's overwhelming. Well, that's the big thing is... Last year, they were so dominant. They were so good for such long stretches. And I know that the very beginning of the season, 
they still were good, but not great. Because I always bring up when, like, they had to beat L.A. just to stay ahead of them. But after that point, they were just, like, on cruise control. And didn't they have some ridiculous stats where they'd only trailed for, like, 30 minutes or something for most yeah. of the season? Like, they've, <laughs> they've already matched that number. And um, it's just, it, it's not about, like, not being mentally tough enough you're just not used to it they don't know how to come back they right. really I mean, never you, even had you a can't come coach from that win. yeah, yeah. You, you can't coach how to play when you're down by two or three goals when you haven't been down by two or three goals in, in more than a calendar year and then kind of finding that adversity right at the beginning of the season when not everybody's completely dialed in, and then you have guys out of the lineup doesn't help, but it's, like, McKinnon was back in the game, but was he really back? And then you say, okay, he didn't skate nope. for a week, like, what can you expect? And that's fair, but then it's also, like, you can't play him like he's just gonna flip the switch any minute now. Like, that's the kind of part where it's, like, you have to be real about what the where these guys are at either mentally or physically or whatever. Like I wouldn't have held right. them out like, just after the, Agna. after the Washington game, you know what, if you're the coaching staff, what do you do with Kale McCarr? He was on, on the ice for five goals against. Okay. Um, well, I guess this is where we talk about that. So, <laughs> so yeah, Miko McKinnon, McCarr were all minus five. You know, we love our plus minus. But when you're minus five, <laughs> yeah, that, that's like, you know, kind of telling the story. And I know one of them was the empty net. So, okay, that one was a little cheap. But minus four, and they had earned that minus four. Right. Um, so it wasn't the depth, guys. It wasn't, you know, even McDermott minus four. It was your top guys, and they were all letting the puck go in the back of the net. Yeah, and obviously they're facing the toughest competition, and you know that that's a difficult assignment that would probably turn out worse if someone else had to do it on the team. Um, but maybe not if you're minus five. But um, but they were on the road, and I looked; they weren't going after you know the other players. They were going after the McKinnon line, and they were succeeding. Obviously, yeah. And it, it looked like from the charts that it sort of got split like um, their fourth line. I forget who's on it. It's Hagelin, Dowd, and someone else. And it, like about half the time, um, you know, the, the Caps used that line against them as a shut a shutdown line. Um, but the rest of the time, you know, they did have their top line out on them. And, you know, that's it, it, it didn't work out well. <clears throat> and um, but, I guess but McCarr... if you're the staff, I mean, it's like when you're looking at Makar, you know, can you can you be questioning whether he's actually ready um, enough to take on the role that he's in? Um, well, this is obviously where they have more information than we do. Like we're speculating it's the hand because he had it wrapped, but uh, but other guys just wrap theirs anyway. It doesn't um, matter what it is. It but could be anything. Is, like, is it related if it's his to his shoulder? If it's his face? If it's his knee? I don't care. It, it, it's you're looking at the effectiveness of this player, and it just doesn't look like he's ready. 
But I guess what um, I'm saying is we are assuming it's injury related or related to whatever procedure he had. What if they know it? it's not? So there's two different trains of thought. If they know that his struggles are related to something injury or physical related, that's one thing. If they just got bad over the I, summer, <laughs> no, but <laughs> you know, that damn contract. He's signed right. the contract. And he's like, all right, it's easy street for six years. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. But it, he didn't have any preseason. You know, sometimes when he's not comfortable, not confident. I'm just saying they know if it's related more directly to an injury or not being 100% or whatever, or if it's more related to just not prepared, you know, need, need to get going, get in the groove more type of thing. I mean, I and we just don't know that an adequate amount of time. I mean, he's second on the team in ice time over the stretch. I mean, he's played over 60 minutes. At so five, if five. If the assumption is that there's a reason why he can't handle the puck, which at at times in the past, sometimes he does just sometimes the puck rolls off his stick and it doesn't make sense. But I don't know. So what what should they do? Should they also manage him more and say, you know what, he doesn't need to play power play one and all this extra attacker situation. And on top of that, the most five v five. Let's ease him down a little. I, I mean, I don't. I, I'm not. I can't tell you an, a specific answer, but you know, when when something's not working, you can't just hope it's going to get better indefinitely. Um, you know, I, I I I'm just not sure what they're waiting for. I guess. Well, that's no, kind of like what I said I, about the forwards. Like, you know, they're going to work out of it eventually. But how many losses are you willing to incur to get there? At least three. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'd want to know more if it's directly like his whatever arm, wrist, shoulder doesn't feel good and he's trying to work through it or if it's just like you need to get it together. I don't know. And putting him with Byram in it, and you asked this on Discord, was it more of a promotion for Byram or a demotion for Makar? And I, I think it was a little bit of both. So yeah. it seems like they're going to continue with that, which I think is a good thing. I think Makar is a little bit better the next game. And they were having those two out with the top line, which considering how those forwards were playing, was it maybe not necessarily a gift either. But, you know, giving them offensive situations and stuff like that. And then like EJ and Sam were taking more of like the second shift with the fourth line kind of thing. Yeah. And they're still babying EJ with minutes, so you know there's there's guys rotating through there. Like I, I noticed Murray with Sam a lot against the Panthers. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of moving parts here. It's not just like you can say like, well, we'll just play Kale twelve minutes a night until he starts feeling better. Um, that's that's why I'm saying I I don't have a specific solution for this other than like you just can't have games like he had against the Capitals. Yeah, that was probably his worst. He was a little bit better in the other two. Like he yeah. was at least defending better in the Florida game, so that was better. Like he was much better on the rush in those, but handling of the puck is still not good. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I don't know. It's unfortunate. But, uh, like I said, I'd probably take away some special situation minutes. Like you still want him out there five v five, and I think he can do that. But does he really need four or five extra minutes just from all the power play time and stuff like that? I don't know. I mean, he had a penalty kill shift last game. I mean, it's like is is that helping? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, would it would it help to take away some of his power play time and put him on the PK more? I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe. But it just whatever whatever is going on, they've got to fix it. Um, because he's a, a very important part of the offense. You you just you can't you can't have this night in night out. He, he, the team relies too much on him to drive play. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he just all of a sudden got bad. Like he he doesn't have mental blocks this bad. So it's clearly something is going on, but. How long it will continue, I guess we'll see. Definitely not playing in preseason, I don't think, helped. Either. Right. Like, it's too bad. If he just got in that Dallas game, I think it would have been a little bit better. Unless it just is totally pain-related. And then there's nothing you can do but wait for him to get better. Yeah. And then, you know... A lot of people are saying, well, I'll just wait till till Taves get back. And, you know, that that's sort of a a magic cure for all this. And, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that that's going to help because it's going to push other guys down the, the, the chain. And, you know, that, that means people are, are going to be taking easier minutes and things like that. So, yeah, that'll be nice. But, I mean, as we've seen in the past, you know, they have their troubles together, too. I mean... I think Taves is a very good player, but sometimes his defense gets a little more credit than it probably deserves. Well, people act like his normal pairing is with Makar, and if you look back, he split it almost exactly between Makar and Sam last year. Yeah, I mean he plays a and he he plays a lot with other. I mean they they mix up the lineup a lot when they have everyone working and. You know, yeah, he, I feel like they haven't sport. done that as much, and maybe that is a function of Taze isn't available, but they've kind of continued that from the playoffs where it, things are a lot more static. Like, you see it after a power player or a penalty kill because you need to mix it up because some guy was just had already been on the ice for a minute. So they'll switch it. But other than that, the 5v5 pairs have been a lot more set than I think they usually are. Yeah. I was looking at the the stats uh, this morning from the Florida game, and like Murray and and Byram had about the same minutes, and Jack Johnson and EJ had about the same minutes. But those guys, like they they weren't playing with each other. It just randomly showed up that they had very similar time on ice. You know, well, it's like the, it, it the pairs funny, were like... pretty set. <clears throat> well, it is funny that everybody except Makar had like 18 minutes last night but then you always need to look at like 5v5 because it looks like you know maybe Byram isn't getting as much but then he tends to get a lot 5v5 so he'll be higher than all the other guys but once they all take penalty kill shifts it evens it up more and I've noticed one thing they'll give Byram like one penalty kill shift and it's usually early in the game and then like not again after that it's yeah. kind of like weird. It's like 
like they budget in for like one minute of penalty kill for him and once he does that then then that's it and like he did pretty good last night on his shift so it was kind of like why couldn't he get another one but they seem to be very careful about how much they want to play him so and like i've said before they seem to envision that he's best served at 5v5 which is good i mean that that's like the actual part of the game and that's the the part that you can plan for but so that skews it i think a lot of people do look at like total time and don't realize like is he not really playing that much but then if you really look at how much he's on the ice it is quite a bit yeah, i mean it's i think that the top three have been very consistent as far as you know sam mccarr and byram have been playing the most minutes at 5v5 <clears throat> um, you know, I've been kind of surprised that that EJ isn't playing more, and you know, I guess that's a function that they're trying to bring him back slowly, or maybe sort of save him a little bit. I think maybe that's just kind of what he can do. Like, I think he plays a lot early on. Like, he's not getting used as like a third pair or even a number four at the beginning of the game, but as the game goes on, I think they use them less and less. But I don't know if it's just because they're they're working him into it. I just think it's at this point... I think part of it is they they, they don't put him on the ice much when they're behind because they need to score. Well, that's also um, been part of it too lately. We'll see if they ever have to yeah. hold down a, a one-goal lead or something. But right. I just think at this point, you can't think of him as a 20-minute, a night, night-in, night-out guy. No. You have to and you would of... just wonder, are, like, are they trying to work him towards that? Are they trying to work him back into game shape where he can do that? Or is it they just, just want him to, to be a solid it. number four, yeah. you know? I, I think they just need to accept it. But he's taken a lot of shifts with Sam and Byram. I mean, that's always going to be like a, a pretty good decent role i guess we'll see if they are ever healthy and taze comes back what they do with the pairs then seems like it's going to be really interesting to see who they scratch like it's going to be between probably jack johnson and murray murray finally did have a a decent game and johnson's been solid you know you hope to god it's not byron but at this point i mean i can even say it would be even beyond like ridiculous if you took him out they're just using him way too much and he's played well you can't take him out so right right i mean i think they'd rather not scratch murray because it you know i i i think he should be important going forward and it, to give him a little credit he's struggling with the same things that say kemper is struggling with is that you know there's just no consistency so how is he learning the systems how is he learning what the other players on the team do in certain situations um or i guess they could go 7d and just take a forward out probably either one of them are more valuable than whatever the 12th forward will be at the time they might Especially if Murray continues to get a little bit better. And then there were the cats. <laughs> I think overall they've incrementally gotten better as each of these games gone by. They but have. But the competition like the... level has risen faster. Yeah. 
And I think the frustration level also is rising, which naturally it would. And to that point, we're seeing the first time since a long time ago that the Avs are facing a different style of play and a different a different blend of talent, a different blend of coaching that they have to try to think and strategize the way out of. And with the missing pieces they've had with the absences from you know two thirds of the top line and Makar not playing at you know peak Makar capacity. Kemper struggling early on as he adjusts to his new teammates, his new role. That's they you know whip out a cliche. They say you know adversity builds you know championship teams and all that. But is this is probably the first time the Avs have had to really deal with anything like that because they didn't do that at all last season when you played the same seven teams all the time, and then you had the bubble. So this is almost like. A, relearning how to ride the bicycle again. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like coming into an entirely different league because what they did last year, I, I think I, I, I think there's no debate about whether they were a really good team, but <clears throat> they were not challenged by the teams in the Western Division. And I'll even throw Vegas in there because that, Oh, Vegas was good. I mean, come on. They were good, but I just don't think they challenged them in the way that playing a team, you know, some of the, the Eastern teams just play so differently. Well, I'll um, agree with that. I also think Minnesota's good. I think they're going to be a problem this year. But it, it's also something I, I say, I think I said years ago, it's just when you see the same team so much, you kind of tend towards equilibrium. Like you tend to split. So, yeah, when you play when you play Vegas and Minnesota, they're good teams, but but you're just going to end up splitting more. It's not really like a test. It's just funny that we all thought, like, oh, good, we get to finally see new teams, and it's like this is what we wished for. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on, th- these first two weeks are not good, and then. After we get this, oh, you really didn't want to go see the Eastern teams. Then we get to go back to another week. Oh, hey, this is your old wedding with Vegas, St. Louis, and Minnesota. So then we have to go through that again before we finally get to see like Columbus and Vancouver and maybe some of these other teams that don't defend well. Like, come back, Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) We need more. Just have to get there. We have to get to November without like some everyone getting fired, the fans losing their mind. You know, just make it to November. Yeah, but I mean, the increasing challenge that they've seen—it's like Washington is a pretty good team. They're definitely better than St. Louis. Um, they definitely present a different style of play that that they haven't seen in a long time. So it's like, all right, they, they didn't deal with that very well. Um, but I, I think they did play better than they did in the St. Louis game. Um, and I, I think they played better again versus Florida. It's just Florida is once again, a better team than Washington. Um, and, and probably we're going to see the same thing tomorrow night when we have to deal with Tampa. Although I think that Florida is probably a little bit better than Tampa right now. Um, 
but it's you know this is a gauntlet of teams that played differently than we've seen in a long time and the best thing they can hope for is that they play good enough that they can learn something from it if you're just getting blown out you really can't learn that much from it because you're just not in the game and and, and not learning sort of how teams are exploiting you and that's it, just some pointing part about these three games is it's not just that it's lost it's that they just got buried and it was just garbage time like in each of these games maybe half of the second period was pretty competitive but other than that it wasn't so and this is the part where if they play a really good close game but then they lose again that's still at least progress like they can't have another where they're down like four to one I mean, you, just, you you don't learn anything about your team when you're down that much. Um, because the, basically the the opposing team is just going to go into, you know, a, a, a clog and coast mode where they're just, uh, they're not, they're not trying to exploit what you're bad at. They're not exposing what you're bad at. They've already done that. So they're just trying to sit on the win. Um, it's just so funny in three games they were able to do their pull the goalie extra attacker thing. And that lets you know how bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but hey, maybe it'll play off down the road. Maybe because they've practiced it, it'll get them a win. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's always been a weak point for them is trying to come back when they're down. And, you know... <laughs> Again, they haven't done it yet, so... But right, um, it's more like you should be able to do that at 5v5, not because you're creating this contrived situation with a 6 and 4 yeah. or whatever. I mean, you should be able to do it in the second period, you know? I mean, it's like, if you're doing it the third, it's probably not going to matter, you know? I mean, or the, hey, the time score to come a normal back power is... play goal. That could help, too. Yeah. Um, but what we need to see is is sort of a not get down big early again and b you know be able to to stay in the game for you know 40 50 minutes so that you know you're actually learning stuff that would be nice and the better the best players have to play better you just can't have guys like McKinnon ran to Landeskog at like 30% possession. It's just, you're not going to win that way. The depth isn't that good. Right. Like they've gotten goals from Comfort and Helm, and I'm not even counting Jost because those were all garbage time, but a few of those auxiliary goals, you know, that, that's about as much as you can ask from, for the, from those guys. You need your top guys to score the goals now. Right, as bad as Makar was in Washington, Mac was just as bad last night in Florida. I, I've never seen him lose the puck or just have fumbleitis as bad like that. I would say um, the playoff. Well, no, when he's ostensibly, <laughs> <clears throat> he goes into I hero mean, mode. Like, like it's understandable. He didn't. He didn't leave his house for a week. He didn't skate, practice, whatever. 
Like, it's not an energy thing. It's like playing stupid thing. Like, just stop trying to toe drag. You're not going to skate through four people. This isn't beer league. You know, you have to play smarter too. And that's what's frustrating is, is that he still hasn't learned that hero hockey doesn't work. You have to yeah, use but, your I mean, teammates. It was, it was you more have to than... pass to somebody. You have to shoot the puck. Like, these are all fundamental things that he's not doing. And it's frustrating because I don't think it's just a you had COVID and you don't have any energy kind of thing. Like, this is kind of a pattern. When the going gets tough, McKinnon tries to do it all himself and it doesn't work. I mean, I mean the stuff that he was doing last night poorly was like routine passing he couldn't do. Um, like someone would just make an easy pass to him and it, it would just go right through him. Or, you know, he'd just totally miss a shot or whiff on it. Um, but he only had one shot attempt at even strength last night. Like, that's not acceptable. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I fully believe that turning the puck over, I, I mean, we don't have... We don't have good stats on that, but I mean, he he turned the puck over either right in front of or right after crossing the offensive blue line at least 10 times. Well, of course he'll get better. Yeah. Like, of course he'll have great games and he'll get his points and everything, but it's a function of being frustrated. I just still don't think he's learned. He should. <laughs> Boy, it would be nice if he did. Yes, it would. So let's go ahead and dive into that uh, game against Panthers and Sunrise. Uh, Ranson was the only goal scorer. The score was 4-1. to Again, I didn't see this one. Uh, but by all accounts, seemed to, this game seemed to kind of unravel because of a goaltender interference call that uh, Ranson ended up uh, getting served with. Yeah, that one was really cheap. Um... You know, like Bednar said that they have pro- more problems than the officiating, and I agree. Um, and they also haven't scored on their own power plays, so it's not like they've gotten zero calls. It's just some of the calls against have been pretty <laughs> pretty hilarious. Like, Nico's goaltender interference. Like, Bobrovsky was completely out of the crease. He was lunging puck, and Miko was trying to get to the puck and also getting pushed. By a panther. And he got elbowed right before that and was falling down. And then he sort of falls kind of past Bobrovsky. Like he definitely touched him, but it's not like he just body slammed him either. And then that was goaltender interference. That was pretty, pretty cheap. Um, and then that's yeah. the penalty, the, the ensuing uh, penalty kill is the one that Panthers scored on, which basically sort of the dagger i guess in this game yeah it was and then the the refs made a a makeup call within like three seconds of the puck dropping after that so it's it's obvious that i don't know they were sorry um (laughs) but then the absence were on theirs so no that's kind of that and um and it's like i mean you can't fix a bad call by just giving another power play like that i mean it's just <clears throat> I think that's the frustrating part of the refing at that point was that 
you know, it, it was a call that we knew we were going to get a makeup call right away. Like even before the the Panthers power play started, we're like, that was just so bad. They're going to have to make a makeup call, and they did. But it just, you know, it, it they didn't give us a goal. Well, that's why so, your power play kind of has to matter. Where it is dangerous. Where it is like, oh crap! Now, now they're going to go get theirs. Yeah, I mean, but you know, if if it was the Toronto power play, they might not have scored too. I mean, it, it's just one of those things that it, you're not going to fix the game state. You're not going to fix a bad call by making another bad call. Um, but it's not like any of this is going to change either. Like these calls are subjective, and they'll go one way or the other. And like, what can you really do yeah. about it? I don't know. Be better. <laughs> you know, and, and for a lot. It is asking for a lot, but there've just been, and I know, like when you're a team that that looks like it's dragging ass and, and struggling, then you, you know you're not gonna get the the benefit of a lot of calls. But, um, you know, it's, I I think we were all very frustrated with what happened to Sam on the icing non-call that led to the first goal. And again, there yeah. was a lot of bad that happened after that. That didn't have to be a goal, but well, it's just like it's just that, the that should have been called an icing. If it wasn't an icing, it should have been interference. And, you know, I mean, it's like there's a million ways that could have gone better as well, far as officiating. The point of the you, what you're trying to get out of the game is that kind of, you know, either falling down or you don't want guys going at full speed that close to the boards just because they're trying to right. beat out an ice. hurtling so, towards a solid object at 30 miles an hour. I mean, it's just, you don't want that. Right. And you're so, just saying you, you can't at that point, if anybody even gets nudged or you get to, because that ice was terrible in Florida too, that the yeah. corners like that, like there were multiple times where guys just totally ate it. And yeah. you're, you're just no, like, at the end of the second period, I mean, there wasn't a time when someone wasn't falling down on the ice. Like Barkov ate it hard into the board. Yeah. I think it was it Bennett also at the end of the game. It wasn't even just the abs. Like I don't like yeah. seeing that either. Nobody wants to see Barkov sliding hard into the board just because your ice is so shitty. So yeah. it, it is a liability. Like that was the worst part of that play. You don't want to see Sam hit the boards like that. And he left the game and came right back. I mean, God only knows if he got injured or not, but you know, he's a tough guy and um you know, he'll play through anything. But yeah, so at but, that point, like the goal was just secondary, it, but the whole thing just sucked, right? Like, you, and you don't want to see the other team score like that just because the guy gets totally taken out. He's not even taken out of the play. Like he's just taken out. Right. And, but I mean, the, the point here is that there are basically two goals that could have been avoided from a little better officiating. And I, I think that's definitely something that, that frustrated the team last night. Because it's like, you know, look, we're trying to get our shit together. But, you know, if you're if you're actively hurting us as well, you're really putting us in a, in a no-win situation. <clears throat> um, but I, I just <sighs> don't see it changing. Like, all these things are so subjective. We also didn't talk about the hilarious cross-check call against Kadri, like, he, is he going to have to take, like, 20 penalties before he, like, makes up with the league or something? Um, like, Maybe. <laughs> not only does he not get the benefit of the doubt, 
He's already no. been called for embellishment. He's been called for a completely soft cross check, which was right after Maltsev and Cout were just getting mauled in the corners. Maltsev even got tackled. That wasn't yeah. called. But then, then a little bit away from the play, Kadri raises a guy, and oh, that was that was the cross check. Right, and and I can totally see that, you know. Yeah, he has a bad reputation, but it. But I just I don't, I don't I, see it, any it's of tough this to deal with. Is the thing like this is if they're going to win the cup, this they have to overcome either you get a better power play to take advantage of those makeup calls or get a better penalty kill. I just don't even know. Like, refing isn't going to change the way that they approach the Avs isn't going to change. It's it's something that is what it is really. I just I, I think when Jared Bednar mentioned after the the Jost kicking goal that didn't get counted, you know, it it seems to count for everybody except for us. Um, well, I think and, that you could make more of an argument when it's a goal call like that, because right. But just you, I mean, using that little statement as a window onto the mentality on the on the. But abs, is that not good? In a way, that's not good because in a way. I didn't mind that Bednar said it because he does keep quiet a lot and maybe he could earn a few things if he started whining a little bit more. But then again, if you feel like that's the mentality is that they're against you, like then that's just excuses too. I mean, you can, you can make it an excuse or you can not, but it's just if, if the mentality in the room is like, look, we're not going to get, the calls and that's just something we have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, you don't have you don't have to use it as an excuse. You you can just use it as like look you know, motivation. It's, it's the same as starting down half a goal every game and that's just something we have to deal with and, and be that much better. Then that's why I said you then you need your power play to be better and your penalty kill to be better because that penalty kill hasn't been good enough. They've I don't know about every game but they've pretty much given up a a power play goal every game. And that even goes back through preseason. Like preseason, it wasn't good either. Um, you know, a lot of times you'd say preseason's irrelevant. They're trying stuff. They put but... <laughs> Sampo there last game. I mean, come on. It's like, how bad he does your power okay. play have to be? <laughs> he was okay. You're right. I mean, he wasn't He can bad. skate to the puck. He, he cleared it. Like, that's what they need more. They need less of this passive crap. Like I Jack thought it was Johnson... funny when he was... <clears throat> He was with Jost on, on, I don't know how many shifts he had, the one that I remember. And it's like, Jost kept pointing where he was supposed to go. <laughs> like, he, you know, he was going to be the attacker. They weren't going to switch off. Um, and that's fine, because that's perfect for him. Well, yeah, exactly. He can hunt the puck. He can hit someone. And he's good enough at clearing it. And I think that's some of their problem, is that you have this old school mentality of you better use like Jack Johnson and Murray. A lot of them aren't that strong on the puck is the problem. You need guys that are strong and have better than average puck skill to be able to get the puck away from these, the opposition because or else you're just booting it and then they get to get the puck back and regroup, which is sometimes even worse. So it well, hasn't looked good. Of a breakaway is something nice too. Well, I, I, think, I think we talked about that last week, but I mean, Comfort got his one. I'm sure he'll, you know, 
he does look a little bit better this year. But how many of those is he going to score? And like O'Connor is never going to score on a breakaway. Prove me wrong, Logan. I want to say I was wrong on a podcast. Prove me wrong. How many like, goals did he and Agazino score that year? I mean, those, <laughs> Eagles had like 15 shorthanded goals that year. <clears throat> so, Which what? Agazino scored all of them? No. <laughs> okay, this is also even. the AHL. You know who can score in the I, I'm just saying. Neil Sherwood. <laughs> hey, I'm saying prove me wrong. Like, I know a broken clock's right twice a day, but, you know, a breakaway I know. is I mean, Newt caught a bunch of breakaways last year on the penalty kill. I know, and I he mean, only scored He on scored one. the only goal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a breakaway is great. The puck's going the correct direction. You know, you're causing chaos. Right. All this, but set you up a for a little away. bit of forecheck time. I mean, that's anytime you're not in your zone on the PK is, is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. But there's the breakaway and then there's the actual scoring part. Like there's two different things. And and I'm talking more about 5v5 because you're right. Like on a, on a penalty kill, wasting time is perfect. But, you know, it just seems like there's just this mentality about all that matters is breakaways. It's either for or against. If a defenseman's out there and a breakaway happens against him, then he's terrible. If a forward's out there and he gets a breakaway, regardless if he's even close to scoring or not, then he's having a great game. And it seems like those two things are the only two things that matter anymore. <laughs> That's, you know, if you want to get on Sports Center, you got to kind of <laughs> score a breakaway goal. <laughs> well, there's a greater chance of that now. Yeah. Maybe not so much a year ago, but certainly now yeah. that ESPN is the rights holder. But right. going back to the point, they need to fix their penalty kill. It's way too passive. If you're going to rely on guys like Helm, Comfer, the whole year, Murray, Jack Johnson, you're going to keep getting scored on. You need more faster players, more aggressive players, guys that are stronger on the puck, and guys that have puck skill. Like, Sam has been statistically one of the best penalty killers that I've seen the last couple years. Use him more on it. He can get it and clear it. That's, that's what you need to kill. Not crease clearing. You're not even set up to clear the crease on a penalty kill like that. But, you know, he's small and he's French, so he can't do that job. <laughs> I do agree. I mean, I, I, I do think that they're looking at, at, at trying to improve it via the personnel route. I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, that having Sampo there, um, I, I, I think Maltsev has gotten a, a few shifts as well. Um, if, if they're going to make a commitment to rotate more guys through that, you know, I, I know it's sort of an AHL thing to do, but I just I, I think your team's better off when sort of everybody has to do it once in a while. Definitely. They need new ideas on it. You know, it's nice to see Byram get a shift or two here or there. You know, I, I don't want him in a shot blocking position all the time either, but he can clear the puck, so you know, you, you need some new yeah, thinking. I mean again, I I just to say it again, I I think when you rotate basically everybody through penalty kill, like, you know, I'm not dying to see Burakovsky there, but, 
Um, he might be one of the ones that never will. <laughs> he, <laughs> but, but who knows? He could be good. I mean, that's just one of the crazy things about it. Or even McKinnon, uh, like, that's a threat. If you want to talk about a breakaway threat, I mean, he doesn't need to do he, it all the time. But he and Nico to... were actually out there for uh, like 20 or 30 seconds on PK last night. Well, you know, I know that they do that when there's like a late whistle and face off and yeah. you're getting closer to 5v5 personnel. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily put McKinnon like PK one unit. But if you're talking about a threat, you need real threats. You need more than O'Connor, Comfort, and Nichushkin as your holy crap, we might give up a shorthanded goal threat. Well, and also if you're scouting the abs PK and it's the same guys every time, then you're like, okay, we got this pretty dialed. So, <laughs> you know, just it's, just, it's, it's a lot harder to defend. Out. Like I, I'm sure when Sampo was out there, the, the, the Panther staff was just like, what the hell? I mean, what do we do? I've never seen this guy, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> we don't know how he PKs. I mean, <laughs> we know he's fast and he's big. So watch out. <laughs> but yeah i mean it's just they're, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to try a little bit harder to be unpredictable which is just which you know, isn't there for well it's just say, any coach hates being unpredictable well of course but that's also part of coaching is you need to come up with new ideas yeah and that's I think that is one area that's failed them year after year after year. Is you have to come up, you have to have the other coach thinking and guessing, and how do we approach this? And like, if if the other coach sees Macar moving around to different spots on the power play, I mean, wouldn't you think that'd be like, holy crap! What what are we going to have to do? Are we going to have to mark him like we do, like an OV type? You know, you have to give them at least something to think about and not just be cagey about who your starting goalie is and stuff like that. Like, you have to give the coach actually something to do. So speaking of new things, uh, Barton Cow and Mikhail Maltz have worked hold up here these past couple of days. How did they look fitting into the lineup now? Well, it was a pleasant surprise because... After our last pod, we, um, you know, uh, we ha- we saw the Mato and the Sakura, and that was disappointing. And they did actually have the money to call up Maltsev, you know, contrary to public narrative. But, um, you know, maybe they wanted him to play a week for the Eagles, whatever. But they made the right call. All count and. Maltsev got rid of Secura. Megna's still around, but he hasn't played. Just kind of interesting. Like, if you're not playing him, why is he the guy that's sitting around? But whatever. So, it's been nice that that those two have been in the lineup. They've kind of been shuffled around, especially with the extra forward thing and going with seven D and this and that. But um, I think they've done well enough. Maltsev on that second line last night. I think he kind of got moved off of it, which. I don't know. I thought he was finally doing more with the puck and creating plays. And then why would you move him? But I don't know. Maybe it was more about trying to find a spark in other ways. And, you know, Cout's Cout to me. I've said enough about his game. But it looked like he was forechecking. He got the cycle going 
and kept it going with him and Sampo. Like they were winning battles. They were moving the puck to the next guy in the cycle. And then fortunately it'd get up to the, to the blue line and then it'd be like Murray at a weak shot. And then that was it. But you know, they were doing what they were told. So if Cout is still around Sunday morning after the donuts get stale, I'll be surprised. But I think they'll keep Maltsev. Yeah, I just I, I don't think they're super confident in Maltsev's offense. Um and I think they're okay with with that sort of in general on the second line because they're okay with Nuke and they know that he's a little iffy offensively. Um and I I think when he did get moved off it was just basically because they wanted you know, someone with a little bit more offensive capability, they think. So they put Comfer there. Um, you know, it's, it's just, th- it's it's one it's, of those things that they just love doing. I think Maltsev did okay analytically there. I think it solves a lot of problems moving forward. If he can at least hold up on that line, then when Newt comes back, you have options. You could put him more on the third line with Jost and make that a really good line again. Like, if they're willing to put Maltsev there, it, it really does open up the world of possibilities. But, you know, we'll see. At least he had a good half a game up I don't, there. I don't think he's going to stick there long term. I'm just <laughs> saying he should. Like, it's more realistic than just thinking Newhook's going to do it. I mean, I think they're both amount, the same amount of realisticness. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think Sampo would be the guy that they would probably want to put there um, if they were going to put one of the younger guys long-term. But he's like the worst defensively, so... He sure is. So... I think Sampo's going to get cut, too, by the way. I think they're going to cut guys and then get back from this trip. I think Maltz is going to be the one that They can't cut them all. I mean, there's just too many. Well, I think Maltsev's going to stick around, and I mean, God, if they just think Magna's like their thirteenth board now, that would be tragic. But I think the kids are getting cut, so they love to do it after a road trip. I'm just saying, wait and see what I happens. I think Magna makes a lo- Magna makes a lot of sense to have as a thirteenth forward. No, he doesn't because oh. he should never play, like ever. He's not an NHL player, right? But they they, they would never use a young guy to do that because they want them playing all the time. So it's going to be one of the the more veterany guys. So it's I, I would rather have him playing but that, then that role guy than plays. Sakura. Like I'd be fine thing. with Mato if he ever no, comes Mateau back. No, Mato sucks. No, he's not good. Yeah, I mean, neither are the other guys. But those guys play like that's always the argument. Well, you just you need to keep someone that's okay sitting around, but they don't. They don't sit around. Something happens and they're the next guy up, and then all of a sudden they've played twenty games. Well, then I'm fine with Magnum because I think he's probably the best out of all those guys. I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, who would you rather? As far as as far as the forwards available in the journeyman crew. Who would you rather have? I mean, are we counting Maltsev or are we ca- counting him as a regular? No. Or is Maltsev the... He's a youngster. He would. They would never He's have not... him as a 13th forward. He's not young. He played more NHL games than all those guys last year. He's not like a kid. He's not someone that needs to like, go develop. 
Yeah, but he's on an ELC, so he's young. <laughs> he's the one that was an NHL regular last year, and the others weren't. Like, Maltsev's the one I'd pick. And he doesn't need to play all the time. I, I mean, they're help. just not going to do that. Like, if he's not playing, he's going to be playing with the Eagles. But he's not a prospect. So, <laughs> I mean, that's stupid. I, they think of him as one. But... But seriously, if you if you if you take Sakura and Magna, and that's just basically it right now, unless you want to count Fingerly, just no. You you can't plan for any of those guys. No, either use Maltsev or develop somebody because you just we're not going to get by with AHL career minor leaguers. It's just they're too low on talent to begin with that once you start piling up games, those guys, 10, 15, 20, it's going to add up and you're going to look like the 15, 16 abs. (laughs) But anyway, to your point, Vlad, I think. I think both those guys did well, and I think Cout has made a comeback when I kind of left him for dead this summer. Um, Aren't they just cut up? I don't buy it. I, I mean, he played well, and the coach said nice things about him. Whether he gets sent down or not, I mean, that's you know, that's in the future. Um, I, I, I think, as opposed to last year, he made the most of this opportunity. So, after that's his- that's something I liked seeing. He got compliments after his first game. Not the very, not the super early one. I think it was against Anaheim. It, it's when he got to come up for those four games. Where it was after the first one, he got compliments. It's just when they started losing, then they blamed it on him, even I though it wasn't already his fault. Losing. I know. So I don't. And buy he it. was on the second line in practice today. So. He's doing something right. I mean, they're heading for the buzzsaw tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) The bus departs to Loveland on Sunday morning. Let's put it that way. Well, before we hit the buzzsaw, uh, let's uh, dive into some stars and scratches. Uh, Earl, what do you got? I'm going to start off with Bo Byram. Um, Yes. (laughs) And I know I'm stealing him from Jackie, but. It's fine. um, It's fine. I don't need to always bring him up. I, I think, I think without a doubt, he's been the most consistent defenseman for the Avalanche so far this season. And, um, you know, I, I I know we were all really happy with how Game One went for him, but it's just it's nice to see that continue, even though the team isn't playing that great. That that he's able to uh, play and play as much of his game as is possible at this at this time. Um. You know he's he's not having the major problems that that Makar and Sam were having. Um, they're not limiting his time like they have with EJ and and you know and what what they're what he's showing is a lot different than what Ryan Murray and and Jack Johnson are showing. So <clears throat> he hasn't like taken over the defense or anything like that. But I, I think he's been solid enough that. Uh, if you're Nolan Pratt, you're like, you know, I'm comfortable putting Bo and Byram in this situation. And that's whatever situation it is. Yeah, it's definitely been a bright spot for me 
is even in the losing, like you can be happy for seeing him play like that and seeing them trust him and use him as a guy that they were, that was going to help them get back in that game yesterday. And like you said, he's been pretty consistent for especially his age and kind of all that they're asking him to do to be able to have a well-defined game that looks pretty similar night in and night out is pretty cool to see. And even, you know, maybe he was trying to be a little bit more conservative with Makar in the top line, but that he can flip that switch and make those plays that he did in that second period. It was, if people didn't see it, this cross ice pass, it seriously went through like three Panthers and hit Makar wide open in the slot. I mean, that would have just been an amazing goal. I mean, I can't believe that he even saw that lane because you could barely even see it on replay. And then he also had this, what was it, like a chip backhand to McKinnon where he hit the post on a rush, and it was like, oh, that would have been great too. Um, yeah, to I, see I, him pull those plays out, like like just out of thin air, and nobody passes to him yet. So it's him creating from like all the way back in the D zone to make this stuff happen. And I think one thing that's really benefiting him is like, you know, we've always remarked about how calm he is um, under pressure or no, just no matter what. Um, and I, I think that's really benefited him because, it, I mean, even Sam is jittery now. Um, Makar may not be jittery, but but maybe should be. Um, but it's just, but- I, I think his calmness has allowed him to be consistent. And that's, you know, it. I think that's the a trait that as he you know goes through a hundred games, two hundred games, three hundred games, four hundred games at the NHL level. I mean, it's just it's it's only going to benefit him more. And it was like in the Washington game, like the first period, like passes weren't connecting. That was kind of for everybody, but it's like it didn't bother him. And then he started that second period where they needed somebody to just do something right, and he was the guy that was doing it consistently it's so it's so cool to see little things like that like it was really neat to just see him get a point and get rewarded on that helm goal because you know it just puts him in the conversation like i don't know if he still is but at that time he was like tied for the lead for rookie points just even see him you know in that conversation is so cool because he deserves to be thought of in that echelon of players even you know you probably won't at the end of the day without power play time and whatnot but you know he is an important player and so that makes me happy anyway (laughs) (laughs) all right jackie any other stars that you Um, might have to find well it's really hard to find a star in, in three losses but you know someone that we hadn't mentioned yet that I think deserves a little bit of praise. I liked how Johansson played yesterday. Like he didn't get the win. He did give up three goals, which is pretty much what you expect from like a backup. You know, if he was your starter, you'd probably hope for maybe one more save, but you know, I think he kept them in that game, especially in the second period where they gave up 23 shots on goal in one period and he kept them in it. So, so he's somebody yeah, I want I mean, to praise this week. Yeah, I think he battled harder than Kemper. Um, 
either that or if he, he's just used to how the Avs play and not that they generally play like this, but it just, he's, you know, he's more comfortable with the guys on the team. Whereas, you know, I mean, Kemper, I don't think we appreciate how difficult it is as a goalie to just be dropped into a new team with new teammates and expect to just figure it out. I mean, it, it took Gruby a while. Um, and he eventually, you know, found his level of competency and, and whatnot, but it wasn't an instantaneous thing. And I, I don't think it will be with Kemper. And I don't think that's a reflection on his talent level at all, but, uh, you know, I, I think having JoJo last year go through what he did, get to know the guy, sort of see what the systems are. I mean, I think that's allowing him to come in as the third goalie and and be a solid backup in a game like that. I just think it's such a relief knowing that you're, you're third. You don't really mind if he starts. Like, I know there was some of like, oh, my God, they need a win. Why are they starting him? It's like. Think of what other game in the next two weeks would be a better idea to not use your starter. And, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you, you know, the defense gets their crap together a little bit better if they know they're playing in front of the backup. But like, I right? Think I mean, it's be- like the Panthers are kind of considered maybe the best team in the league right now. It's like it's one of those it's so crazy it might work kind of things but then it's like you're gonna not use your starter against the defending champs you're not gonna use your starter against vegas you're not gonna use your starter in in st louis you're not gonna use your starter against minnesota like this was probably the time especially to change the momentum a little bit because kemper maybe hasn't been the sharpest but um but, you know, I'm okay if JoJo plays. Like, you don't want to see him too much, of course, but it's just not that same, like, oh, geez, like, what are we going to get? Like, I have faith <laughs> in him to, to be good enough. And <clears throat> I think Nas deserves a star as well. Um, I, I think of the forwards that are expected to do scoring things, um, He's probably been the most consistent, and he's looked a lot different than he did during uh, the second half of last year when when he just wasn't any good. <clears throat> um, I don't know, you know if he, I can go all the he's way. He's still in. not that great defensively. <laughs> like I, I think when you're asking him to do what he's asked to do on the Avalanche, um, you're gonna have to sacrifice some part of his game. Um, but I, I just, you know, I, I think if you're looking at why that line maybe isn't working, I mean, obviously, like, Burakovsky's in the doghouse, so it's it's, <laughs> it's probably him. Um, I don't know if I'm all the way to a star on Nas, but I'll say, like, his start has been encouraging. Like he's Yeah. And the penalties, like, we know that he's never going to get the benefit of the doubt. I'm not necessarily mad about that. You know, yeah. he still kind of does the toe drag and the dumb stuff. But the has been That's there. And I think that style. was the thing that. Well, sure. He's like chaotic and he does play hard in, in certain ways. And he does have a good shot. Like he can finish. And he's definitely looked better. I, I think Benner w- was unhappy with the battle level and the effort. And I, I think that's been there. So that's that's a big plus for him. Yeah, I mean, this if if you had you know, I wasn't I wasn't very hopeful that Nas was going to come back from 
where he was last year. I mean, I, I, I was pretty sure it was kind of like a falling off the cliff thing. I thought um, he'd be motivated. It, the prove people wrong plus the contract here. I, I think he knows he needs to. Yeah, like his just, reputation I mean, I took thought, a hit. There's some teams that just I'm won't sure. sign him, but I, I'm sure he was going to be motivated. But it, it, whether he could pull it off or not was sort of a question for me. <clears throat> you got a star, yeah. Vlad? Well. I'd like to. I'd like to just get some honorable mentions. I don't think they played well enough to really deserve full out Stark billing, but it's encouraging to see uh, Tyson Jost and GT Comfort at least get going in the the scoring column, get some points. Maybe that'll give them a little bit of some confidence into their game. I know that we've picked apart Comfort on the power play, and that certainly is an area where criticism is certainly warranted. But it's. It's good to see the guys that we have had various opinions on, <laughs> not necessarily positive. Him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, he's definitely shown effort too. Like, I'd still like to see. Yeah, a bit if more I'm going to hate Comfrey, may as well score some, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he's at least been more involved. He's trying more. He's. He's trying to use the speed, things like that. It is positive. I guess there's one other guy that we need to mention it's, is O'Connor. Like a lot of people love his start, and he has given them a, a spark, especially with the rest of the team being pretty lethargic. So, you know, I made my my points very clear about that he might never score, and I I really want to see that energy on a traveling back to back on a Tuesday in January. But he's certainly been a positive. Every time he's on the yeah. ice, he's helping the team. He's moving the puck in the right direction. And he definitely deserves credit for that. Yeah, I definitely agree with O'Connor. I was going to mention him. I mean, he's, you know, I, I think what he and Helm have done, and sometimes it's the third line when it should be the fourth or whatever. But if you just consider it, they've got the fourth line role. I think they've done a pretty good job with that. And O'Connor's energy is something that, you know, many on the team have lacked over the past few, four games. As far as uh, catches go, uh, I think uh, this might be a little bit easier. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody, everybody gets a scratch. Well, it's, a, lot it's of it, tough. Like, a lot of it is scratching guys time. you really like, but <laughs> like, I think all like the I, top players should just into one because they've all had their not good moments and all for various reasons. You know, McKinnon was out, Lanny was suspended, McCarr's probably half broken. You know, so what's Miko's excuse? Because <laughs> he's been brutal. Which is and really, you can say really he's weird. He's not getting any support, but it's just, I really hope that he was going to show up and, oh, I mean, you know, we talked of him maybe driving his own line or something like that. And then, you know, I'd still it, like to see he, it. Like, if we're going to be in experiment mode, we I'd saw it. Like I mean, he it. had his own line. I mean, <laughs> when he didn't Gabe, have anybody, Gabe and Mac were gone. That was, <laughs> that was it, baby. Um, it's, it's no, weird I don't understand I... it because he's usually so good at 
sort of bucking up and and getting things done but it's i i think his struggles more than anything else have demonstrated just sort of how out of sorts they are as a team you know it's like you look all right makari you can say oh yeah it's whatever's wrong with his arm or whatever and matt got covid and yada 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 but you know it's like miko's healthy and looked fine in preseason so if he looks bad and you can kind of say this about sam too it's like if those guys look bad what's wrong well, I, will, you know, I was this... going to say it was weird because I thought Miko looked great in preseason. He so... did. And so did Sam. So it is and strange. Then, then they like... just turned into pumpkins like right before <laughs> the first game in your list or the second game. And you're like, so what does this mean? I mean, you know, it's like when these guys who looked great like a week ago. Is it just because they done. can't <clears throat> they can't be the safety valve for everybody like <sighs> I wouldn't necessarily scratch Sam. I know, big shock. I will say, has it been his best week? Absolutely not. Like, he's definitely made some mistakes. But when it usually happens where everyone's like, boy, he's terrible, it's usually because he's getting no help. Like, everybody vacates. He's just supposed to do everything by himself, you know. And then it comes down on him because he's the small French guy, right? Like, it's just his fault. So. Right. It's like. A lot of people were saying Sam was terrible in the Washington game, and I'm like, I, I, did you see what McCarr was doing that whole game? Oh my god! I mean, it's like, yeah, the three on one—that was Sam's fault, right? And, exactly, you know. And so, like I said, he he deserves some criticism. He definitely had had some not good things happen, but he's usually the last guy back. He's usually the one that's trying to fix everything. And yeah. And so I think he was a bit better in the Florida game, too. You know, it was funny. Like, he totally wiped out and almost died. And then it's like he came back and he was, like, focused. Or he got a little pissed off or something. And it seemed like he just got a little bit more, like, in gear. Yeah, set up Miko for the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he took a hit in, in the middle of the ice. And that was, it was a funny goal. But it was like, hey, you know, sometimes this is how it needs to work out but you know i mean i I wouldn't scratch sam i mean like he's just gonna go back to underrated like everybody's gonna have the same axe to grind he's not physical it's his fault that's okay (laughs) you know he's been underrated his whole career and he's gonna continue to be the backbone of the abs defense like i think he is you know mccarr of course is dynamic and you know all the amazing things he does but truly sam is the backbone of this defense if they didn't have him for an extended period of time, it would be a lot different. Well, another scratch, I think, and just just as we mentioned with with Kadri, um, Burkowski, he's in the doghouse and and he has not played well. I know um, it looks like he's going to be a, what with Helm tomorrow. Oh, geez, yeah, like, he's, he's definitely... practicing on the third line today. So, <laughs> um. Which it's is- tough, and we've seen him. I mean, he's hesitant with his shot, and there's so many times when, like, he passes, and we're all like, you should have shot that, and then he, or he shoots, and you're like, you should have passed it. Um, I'll, you know. I'll defer to shoot, you know. Yeah, For I mean, I think guy, if you're Burkowski, he- <laughs> it's like, you should shoot. It's, you know, 
<clears throat> Unless it's just a layup with an open net on the weak side corner, fine. And I think he was one of the better guys in the St. Louis game. Like, if I'm remembering correctly, but I think he was one of the few that looked like he was engaged in driving the bus in that game. And then they yeah, I mean, on the I, road. I think he's gotten... <laughs> I think he's gotten progressively worse over this road trip, you know, and, and maybe going back to Washington was, you know, that, 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 that just, you know, that freaked him out or something like that. But, you know, he was terrible against Florida too. So, um, you know, we, we've seen Berkey get in the doghouse for various reasons before. I mean, it's just, it's sort of a, a tough love relationship with, with, with Bednar on this. So, and I've said before, even when he's playing well, people don't realize how little he plays. Like you say, yeah. he's on the second line, you know, he's contributing, you have no problem. And you look and he's playing like 13 minutes at even strength. And you're like, you know, that's, that's pretty low. But hey, if, if he's contributing and producing and that's the sweet spot for him, good. So he's not a guy that's ever really going to play 18, 19, 20 minutes. But yeah, I agree. He's all he. If you're playing with Helm, you're in the doghouse. Yeah. So uh, good luck with that because I mean, hey, at least he'll give that line some finishing. So maybe that's what he needs. If he shoots, <laughs> <laughs> he better. You know who else better shoot against Tampa Bay? McKinnon. Shoot the damn puck, dude. That's why they're yeah. paying you. <clears throat> any other scratches we can think of i mean we we no. already covered it i'd say kemper but we we already pretty much blamed it but he's got to be better too yeah i mean i i like i i said i think he's just going through what Gruby did when he came to the abs it's just it's you know it, it's a new thing to deal with and and he, it's just not an easy situation to learn because nothing is consistent. Nobody plays on the same line two games in a row or even two periods in a row, really. So. Oh yeah, um, that's fair. It's, it's pretty tough to say, well, come to a new team and you got to stay on your head and win these games for us. But yeah. they really do need a couple more saves. Just please a couple more. Right. And I, and I think Murray's going through the same thing. I mean, he's just coming to this team and he's like, Oh, this is awesome. I got I signed with the abs and it's, you know, <laughs> how am I supposed to learn what to do when nobody does anything right on this team right now? So, you know, that, that's sort of my hope for Murray is that, you know, I, I know he's better than he's shown, but hopefully the team helps him out by being consistent and showing him how they play. I hope so too, yeah. but he also might be the guy going to the press box. So we'll see. You never know. Yeah, I, and I also would have said Kemper too. <laughs> yeah, and I also would have said Kemper too, but we've already picked that apart. Cause, yeah. But yeah, it's like, you know, you come from an Arizona team where you're standing on your head for 60 minutes straight. You come to this team where you're Start to believe, hey, maybe I won't have to stand on my head for 60 minutes straight. And wait, what do you mean I have to stand on my head for? Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, I, I think in a month that 
you know, a, a lot of the new guys on the team we're going to be talking about a lot differently, just because it, you know sooner or later the consistency will develop, um, and they'll they'll be able to figure it out. This is probably right about where we maybe not have expected, but it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility to be having conversations of this nature, what, four games in? Yeah, as soon as they win a game, you know, it'll be a lot more optimistic. It's it's yeah, hard mean, to discuss a week where there was no winning. And it wasn't right. even really particularly close. And that's not something this team, this fan base is used to. But you just need to see a win to to get those good feelings back and to feel like you they can do it. You got to see them do it. I mean, at least thank God, at least they beat Chicago. At least they have a win. So unlike Montreal, yeah. <laughs> so um, it just you feel like they'll feel like they're back on the right track. I just think these two weeks are tough. Once they start playing some teams with a little bit worse defense, you know, they might have fun scoring goals again. That'd be nice. I mean, I think they could come out tomorrow night and beat Tampa Bay. And oh, I think they could beat anybody. Yeah. They could, they could win that game for nothing, you know. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, that's just... <clears throat> I think that's probably the next step in their inconsistency is to win and when they're not supposed to and keep on losing when they're supposed to win. And then, yeah, even Tyson Joes could score a hat trick at Tampa. <laughs> I know they've they've had good moments there. Yeah, I absolutely remember that. <clears throat> so if if sometimes some guys just for whatever reason either the matchup or their personal feelings or whatever, just play well against favorite restaurants there. (laughs) Whatever it is. (laughs) They love the hotel. I don't know, but if they could definitely use a couple Jost moments tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. So tomorrow night's game wraps up the road trip. Uh, That is a 5 PM start in Tampa against the two time defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, The eyes will return home for a quick one gamer on Tuesday the 26th against Vegas that is a slightly earlier than normal start at 6 p.m. local uh, puck drop here at Ball Arena before the Avs head back out on the road this time to Enterprise Center to face the St. Louis Blues hey same start time 6 p.m. local before they come back uh, for another Saturday game uh, first matchup against the uh, Minnesota Wild here at Ball on the 30th and I and think that that's, I think that's a tough week, but I'm not saying they can't win. If they do win, it might give them a lot of confidence. But I just think, boy, that's a tough next four games. And I don't buy into the whole St. Louis sucks now. Like that's a tough game for them, especially to play on the road. I mean, any game is tough right now, but I just, well, I was yeah, not impressed with that team one bit. <laughs> I don't know. I saw them beat Vegas. I know you don't like Vegas either, but. St. Louis is decent. Like, they're not going away. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be pretty sad to finish behind them. I'm not going to say, I'm not saying definitively that's going to happen, but they're going to finish behind some of these teams. 
They might. Anything is possible when it's still October. <laughs> At least Chicago sucks, so thank you. Thank you for us not trying to race Arizona at this point. Oh. <laughs> and we know how Vlad feels about Arizona, Jackie. We've got to be nice about Arizona <laughs> on the show. But even Vlad can admit <laughs> that they're trying to circle the drain. So it's not even like picking on him. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. When they get Shane right, everything will be much better. In theory. <laughs> <laughs> they still got a lot to sort out down there but whole other show whole other topic as for this show uh, we're going to go ahead and call it a night it's uh, yeah we've been going for a little while so uh, thanks for until listening we, yeah until we uh, gather around the microphones again thanks for uh, hanging out with us and we will see you next time